It's the final race before the summer break. Formula One heading to the Hungaro Ring for the Hungarian Grand Prix. That'll be in Budapest on Sunday, round 13 of the World Championship. And it's a championship that is in the complete grasp of Max Verstappen, who leads Charles Leclerc by 63 points. We're going to go over the five things to watch for for the race weekend. A look at the circuit, our top five and bottom five from France. Plus, we will talk about the big announcement on Thursday at Sebastian Vettel, the four-time world champion, retiring from Formula one. My name is Tony Desiri. This is the Overtake F1 podcast. Glad you could join us. If you are a new listener, I hope you like what you hear and you'll consider subscribing to the podcast and sharing it with your friends. If you already have been listening to this for the past two seasons or just a couple of episodes, we also hope you consider subscribing to the podcast. If you need to reach me, I, you can find me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. You can also follow us on Facebook, the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm an American sports talk show host with passion for Formula One and the last couple of years saw it grow incredibly in my country and kind of decided to get into the podcast game to not only help new fans, but kind of spark conversation with old fans alike. All right. So let's get to the five things to watch for, for this weekend. And the first one is, will this be the start? Because if Charles Leclerc is going to catch Max Verstappen, it has to start here. He needs to finish ahead of Max on Sunday, or he has zero chance at all of claiming the world championship. And some would say he's got zero chance of claiming the world championship now. But if you're kind of the optimist that thinks we actually might get a fight for the title, it's got to start Sunday at Budapest. He would need some extraordinary circumstances to win this championship. I mean, right now he trails by 63 points. He needs to average around a seven-point game per race over the final 10. You know, the winner gets 25, second place gets 18, and while there's a point given for fastest lap, he pretty much has to win every race to claim the championship. Now, of course, Max Verstappen can have a DNF here or there, but if we're talking about the average over the rest of the season, it's got to be seven points. If it's two or three, he's not winning the title. So again, this weekend is absolutely critical because while we are at a little over the halfway point, the gap is so large, we are running out of time to get a world championship battle. Now, when it was round two and three, four, five, six, and seven, you could still make the argument. The lead wasn't all that insurmountable. But now it kind of is, and it all happened at Paul Ricard. Max won, DNF for Charles Leclerc, and here we sit, round 13, and it looks like Max Verstappen is going to cruise to his second world championship. So this is the race where any comeback is going to have to start. It won't be in the second half when we get back from the break. I know Max is going to win at Zandvoort. He's going to win the Dutch Grand Prix. And he'll probably win a few more races than that, too. So if Ferrari wants to put Leclerc in this battle, they're going to have to gain something in Hungary. Because I'll say it again, and I've been saying it throughout the year. When Verstappen finishes races, he's on the podium. Leclerc now has to be higher than him on the podium. The second thing to watch for this weekend is, remember last year? Will we get a repeat? All right, will Hungary give us a winner like all of the other races this season, meaning somebody from Red Bull or Ferrari? So far, Verstappen has won seven races. Leclerc has won three. Carlos Sainz and Sergio Perez each have won one. Twelve races, all won by Red Bull or Ferrari. Now, last year's winner in Hungary was Esteban Ocon of Alpine. It was one of the craziest races of 2021. Heck, it was one of the craziest races you'll see in Formula One. 
It was a first turn melee crash that knocked out a whole bunch of drivers and top drivers as well. Lewis Hamilton was on the grid all by himself. The only drivers staying out on intermediates. Everybody else went in for slicks. Ocon driving the wheels off that car, holding back Sebastian Vettel and getting the checkered flag. His teammate, Fernando Alonso, protecting him from a hard-charging Hamilton who was trying to race through the field and get back on top. And then after the Grand Prix, Vettel was disqualified for not having enough fuel for a sample and inspection. So that was quite a Grand Prix weekend in Hungary a season ago. Will we get a repeat of that? Not likely. I mean, we're not going to even get some of the elements to it. But could we get a surprise winner? I hope we still do at some point. I like it when a Pierre Gasly wins at Monza or even an Ocon winning at Hungary last year. I like a surprise winner every now and then. I don't think it would be a surprise if Mercedes were to come out on top with some attrition up front. But could we get somebody in the midfield actually winning this Grand Prix kind of coming out of nowhere like Esteban Ocon did? Again, I doubt it, but because of what happened last year, you can't help but think about it when watching this season's race. Number three, now back to more technical things as far as teams go for the Hungara ring. Can Haas bounce back? Silverstone and Austria were good races for this American team. Haas got double points in both of those Grand Prix, and that also meant Mick Schumacher got points. And all of a sudden, Mick was the shiny new Formula One story that everybody was getting behind. He went from crashing race cars and costing his team millions of dollars to showing that he had potential in a fun few weeks. But France was not a good race for Haas. They will be bringing an upgrade that Kevin Magnussen will be using in Hungary. So look for a possible bounce back for the team. Maybe Magnussen, maybe not so much Schumacher, but for a team, watch for a possible bounce back. Plus, with Alfa Romeo struggling right now, they've got no points in the last three races. Haas has a shot at P6 in the constructors' standings. All right, number four, McLaren versus Alpine. Let's face it, it's the only constructors battle right now worth paying attention to. Alfa Romeo and Haas might get a little interesting, but right now this is the battle for P4. And Alpine leads for that fourth spot with a strong running at Paul Ricard, their home race. The two teams were tied at 81 points apiece heading into France, but a four-point difference is where we are right now. Can McLaren get the lead back? We still need Daniel Ricciardo to start getting into the points consistently. He's only only been in the points in five races this season. Lando Norris has 70. That's 70 of the 89 points that McLaren has in this race for P4. Now compare that to Alpine. Esteban Ocon has gained points in every race but three, and Alonso is just five races outside the points. If McLaren is going to get this position, Ricardo needs to start finishing in the top 10. And the number five thing to watch for this weekend, it's Mercedes. I've been talking about the Constructors' Race a lot in this preview, and guess what? I'm going to do it again. Ferrari and Red Bull were running away with the top two spots at the beginning of the season, and even through much of the middle part of the season. Mercedes, they were all alone in third. But something is starting to happen. The Silver Arrows are only 44 points behind Ferrari for P2, and they are the only team with only one out of 10 that has collected points in every single race this year. Is there a chance for Mercedes to finally win this weekend? Uh, not with their pace, but the way Hungary went last year, why not? Realistically, though, James Val said that the team will have a hard time at the Hungara ring as the circuit will expose some of the problems that Mercedes has had with pace. Qualifying on Saturday could be really tough for this team. 
So I don't expect him to win, but 44 points is not really a lot. And all of a sudden, Mercedes is in play for P2 in the constructor's standings. And that would be really an incredible turnaround, given where they were at the beginning of the season when they looked like they couldn't get really anything out of the car. And George Russell was kind of in the top five, but Lewis Hamilton was struggling. Now both drivers seem to have dialed that thing in. They may not be competing for wins, and they don't have the race pace of Ferrari or Red Bull. But if Ferrari keeps screwing up, they will lose P2 in the constructors to the more consistent Mercedes, and that's what we're starting to see in the second half of the season. So the Silver Arrows are running near the top. May not win, but near the top, and that could be enough to get them P2 in the Constructors when it's all said and done. Alright, so those are the top five things to watch for this weekend at the Hungara Ring for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Again, we're going to go on a month break after this race to resume it when we come back in late August. So this will give teams a real chance to evaluate the season, evaluate where they are. So it's, a lot of things could, could still kind of settle in after this weekend. All right, let's get to track talk. And this is where we go over the circuit and give you kind of an idea, especially if you're a new Formula One fan, what exactly they'll be facing in terms of the track. Hungara Ring is similar to a karting track. They have a lack of straights, a lot of turns. There's 14 of them with the longest straight at the start finish line. The teams will be going for a much lower downforce, kind of like Monaco to compensate for all of these turns. One of the aspects of this circuit is weather. It is going to be extremely hot in July in Budapest and the dry conditions, the track can get really dusty. However, rain is in the forecast. It kind of always is this time of year. Anyway, we saw a little bit of that last year. It's kind of one of the reasons why we had a big accident in turn one last year at the start of the Grand Prix. It's a bumpy circuit. Drivers do need to get a good rhythm to put together solid lap times. Drivers that are on the grid who have won in Hungary include Lewis Hamilton, who's won there eight times. Sebastian Vettel has two victories. Daniel Ricciardo won there for Red Bull in two 2014, and of course Esteban Ocon, who was last year's winner. It's a middle range of tires for Pirelli this weekend, C2 for the hards, C3 for the medium, C4 for the softs, and this Grand Prix will be 70 laps. Now, as far as overtaking, the Hungara Ring hasn't really been known as a track that provides a lot of opportunities to do that, but now that you've got cars running closer together, there might be a chance to see more of that in the past, because Hungary hasn't really been a place where overtaking is plentiful. It really, really does limit the opportunity to pass on that circuit. But we might see something different coming up this weekend again with the new cars and the way they're set up. Personally, I, I like the Hungara Ring. It's not my favorite circuit, but I don't dislike it either. I, I do like the corners, and I do think it provides a, a nice opportunity for drivers to really find a rhythm. The weather is always kind of a factor, whether it's super hot out or there's rain. But I do think it provides a challenge for the drivers. It's kind of a fun Grand Prix, too. Um, some, sometimes it's a little boring, but, I mean, last year was a little too exciting because there were so many things going on. But for the most part, I, I think the Hung Hungarian Grand Prix is a pretty good race, so I'm looking forward to it this weekend. All right, let's get to last Last week's race in France, we got top five and bottom five. And again, I say this every single podcast, so bear with me if you're new to this. Uh, I will do top five is top five, bottom five could be anything. It could be drivers, it could be teams, it could be circumstances, whatever. So usually it's drivers, but just keep that in mind as we go through the bottom five first from Paul Ricard. And number five is Pierre Gasly. Uh, P12 finish, not what the Frenchman wanted in his home Grand Prix. He ended up spinning after trying to make a pass of Alex Almon. He even said afterwards, nothing 
really worked. Gasly has not scored a point in his last four races. Was looking to get something at Paul Ricard, but instead got nothing. So he's number five in our bottom five. Number four, Alfa Romeo. It was a really, really tough day for the team. With Valtteri Bottas finishing P14, Joe Guan Yu retiring the car. It was no points for the team entirely. That brings Haas within 17 points of P6 in the constructors' race. Joe really had a rough day out there. He tangled with Mick Schumacher. He needed a new front wing that came early and then later in the Grand Prix had a mechanical failure that brought out the late virtual safety car. So a tough day for Alfa Romeo. They are number four. Number three, Sergio Perez. He was way off the pace of his teammate for the whole day. Now, Max didn't need his help defending the Mercedes that were behind him. Russell and Hamilton didn't have any pace to make the race interesting up front. But Perez also didn't catch the end of the virtual safety car correctly and was easily passed by George Russell. That cost Red Bull a podium. We discussed this in our French Grand Prix review. Um, Russell sort of was speeding up as Perez was slowing down, and then there was just an inability to recognize the right moment when the VSC was ending. And that allowed George Russell, who was again, accelerating at the time to easily pass him. So everyone sort of watched that said, Oh, caught Perez napping. It really wasn't any other reason to describe it in any other way. Remember, too, he was also passed by Carlos Sainz before Sainz had to pit late for new tires. So Sergio Perez, three in my bottom five. Number two, McLaren. Now, both Lando Norris and Daniel Ricciardo finished in the top 10, but they couldn't match their Alpine counterpart. We talked about this earlier. There's this battle for P4 in the constructors right now between these two teams, and Norris finished behind Fernando Alonso, and Daniel Ricciardo couldn't hold back Esteban Ocon. So that meant Alpine left Paul Ricard with the lead in the race for P4 in the constructors. Now, this is not a terrible bottom five, to be honest with you, even though I put them number two, but I think there's a level of importance where teams are in the constructors, so that's why I did it. I think both of them, somebody needed to finish ahead of an Alpine in terms of if you're going to match driver for driver, and they didn't do that. So again, McLaren's day could have been better. They both finished in the points, but it could have been better, and it just wasn't. So they're number two in my bottom five. And the number one, of course, is Charles Leclerc. His championship hopes went poof. One bad turn and it was gone. His scream into that radio was heartbreaking. You don't see leaders of races just simply spin out. Maybe it was a gust of wind. Maybe it was just a serious mistake. Maybe it was the throttle. I don't know. Nevertheless, it meant the huge lead that Max Verstappen has going into Hungary. That deficit just might be out of reach. Charles Leclerc suffered worse than any driver at Paul Ricard because, again, he was trying to cut into that manageable lead that Verstappen has, but now he's really got his work cut out for him now. All right, so let's get to the top five from the French Grand Prix. We're going to start with number five, and that's Lewis Hamilton. It's a great P2 for Hamilton, and that was as easy of a drive as you're going to find. He could not catch Max, but no one could catch him. Another podium for Lewis, who said afterwards he was extremely proud of his team at the end of the race. And like we said earlier, Mercedes is starting to get more and more and more consistent being up at the top. They're not winning races, but boy, they are gathering up some points. So watch out, Ferrari. Get your stuff together, because Mercedes is coming in that constructor's race. Number four, 
Fernando Alonso, a solid P6 for Alonso, gave Alpine a great weekend, had a great start at the beginning of the race. And again, home Grand Prix for the team. Alonso shined, and there's a battle for P4 with McLaren. Alonso was the big star for Alpine in that particular race. Number three, Max Verstappen. Obviously, this should be higher. This should be number one or two. But the reason I'm putting it as three is because it's getting to be old hat around here with Verstappen. I can put him number one every single week, so I want to find other drivers to do that. It's like driver of the day, to be honest with you. You don't give the driver of the day to a guy who won the Grand Prix, especially a guy like Max Verstappen, where you sort of expect him to win the race. So again, it should be higher, but it's not. He keeps winning races at seven so far this season. Now, he did need Leclerc out of the race. He didn't match him at the beginning. He couldn't pass him. So he was going to have to try the undercut or something like that. But Ferrari did have better pace than Verstappen. So Leclerc's mistake is Max Verstappen's gain, but nevertheless, he wins the Grand Prix his rival was out. He cruised to his 10-second win. No one was touching him. And again, as I said earlier, seventh victory of the season. Max Verstappen is three. Well, who's number two? Well, I'm going to give it to George Russell. He finished third. And that pass of Sergio Perez was timed just perfectly off that VSC restart. It's good enough to get another podium for George Russell. He continues to run in the top five in every single race, but one where he crashed out at Silverstone. But nevertheless, Russell is having one heck of a season and it's putting Mercedes in a really really good spot for battling outside of the top contender in the constructors championships or George Russell who made it made it a Mercedes 2-3 gets our second spot in the top five but number one for me was Carlos Sainz now, on Saturday, he helped Leclerc secure pole position with that toe. He had nothing to gain because he was going to start at the back of the grid anyway, but he helped his teammate with the toe, started P19 with that upgrade. He made his way through the field, had the car in P3 before he needed to come in for tires. He finished P5 with the fastest lap. Now, should he have stayed out, tried to get a podium with those old mediums? Maybe, but I do think it was the best result that they could have hoped for without putting the car at risk for a blowout and then a DNF. So I supported Ferrari on that. I know a lot of people didn't. A lot of people still question their strategy, and I've questioned their strategy. But when I really thought about it, if I'm Ferrari and I already got one car in the in the garage on a DNF, I'm not risking another one. I would love to see teams take more of a gamble. We talked about this in the last podcast. I think that's the one thing about this sport. There's such a long play that you don't see guys go, screw it, let's just go for it. Let's throw all our chips on the table and cash in. You see teams more or less going, nope, nope, nope. It's a long season. We don't want to blow it. There's points here. We don't want to give away. So let's play the conservative game. Let's get these points and get out of here. Would I have loved to have seen Ferrari take a chance on old mediums to see if signs can make them work. Sure. As a fan, but if I'm their lead strategist, I think I got to go for getting as many points as I possibly can to keep the constructors race a little bit tighter than it actually is. All right, so that's our preview of the Hungarian Grand Prix from Budapest. I hope it's a good race. I can't guarantee it. I've been so wrong on some of these weekends where I thought the race would be exciting and there were so many of these storylines and then something would happen in the Grand Prix and I would just throw it out the window. That certainly was the case last year. I do hope we get more of a 
fun Grand Prix, a real battle, because we really haven't had that as of late. We've seen to have one car that sort of dominates, and we've sort of lost the enthusiasm that we had at the beginning of the season when we really thought Verstappen and Leclerc would be going to be going head-to-head for most of the year. That sort of has disappeared. Didn't really expect it to last all year, but I would certainly have liked to have seen it a little bit more than the first couple of races of the season. But we got to get to the big news that happened on Thursday, and that's Sebastian Vettel, the four-time world champion, announcing on Instagram that he just opened, by the way, that he is retiring at the end of this season. 16 years in Formula One, 53 victories. And while he never gave us the real definitive answer for leaving the sport, you do get the usual time with family that was mentioned. He also cited a larger voice that is growing inside of him on causes he believes in, like climate change, for example. He has admitted that being a race car driver and then calling for change in behavior to benefit the climate kind of don't go hand in hand, really. And that does come under scrutiny. He's been called hypocritical and he's actually admitted that, yeah, it kind of is hypocritical. But this is the thing I've always respected about Seb. He knows what he believes in and he stands for those things. He doesn't just talk it. He really tries to work towards the causes he wants to fight for. And you can agree with the causes. You can disagree with the causes. I'm not here to say he's right about this or he's right about that. But the reality of it is, is that I respect people who say, this is what I believe in and I'm going to fight for those things that I believe in. He's worn the slogans on the shirt. He's worn the slogans on the helmet. He is trying to send his message for the world to see. He has done it in places where he's made a stand against the countries he's racing in who don't treat the LGBTQ community well, and he has spoken out against that. He has used his platform the best way he can use it. We've often seen athletes, especially here in the United States, take stands on things, but then when you call them out for stuff, they backtrack on it. But Vettel seems to be somebody who's very passionate about what he wants to stand for, and I got to respect him for that. But this was not a forced retirement. And a lot of times we kind of like to read between the lines on these kind of things. And if you're an American sports fan, you know what I'm talking about. We see this in the NFL a lot where a guy goes, hey, I'm retiring, I'm done. And then you dig in deeper and you realize that the team was like, we're not going to sign you. And there's really no other place in this league for you. So they got the, they read the writing on the wall. This isn't it. His contract with Aston Martin was up. The team did want him back for a third season. He definitely provides a veteran voice for that team. Remember, Lawrence Stroll is putting a lot of money into a new facility. They've got a brand new wind tunnel that's coming. So he was a not only a veteran driver that is experienced at winning races, he's experienced in the business of Formula One. And he was really helping that team with different ideas and engineering, et cetera, et cetera. You needed that driver that could come up with this kind of stuff for you when you're trying to grow your organization. So he was very, very valuable to this team. I wouldn't be surprised if Lawrence Stroll goes in the direction of finding another veteran voice for that organization. But the team was not competitive and they're not even competitive in the slightest in 2022. So to say they're not competitive is actually more, it's more light than it really is. I mean, they are absolutely abysmal, but they put a lot of resources in this team. They're not getting the results they wanted to. And when you look ahead, there's cost cutting that's coming. There's no more change in regulation that's going to make that car any better. I think Vettel saw sort of the writing on the wall and went, look, I can drive around and race the best cars in the world, but I ain't winning races anytime soon. And I'm going to be competing for races wins anytime soon. And I wonder if that married with the other things that I mentioned, time with family, wanting to get out there and do things for the causes that he believes in, 
all come to came together in some sort of pot. And he just went, you know what? Maybe it's time I leave this sport. He won four championships for Red Bull all in a row from 2010 to 2013. He raced for six seasons for Ferrari before joining Ashton Martin in 2021. He finished runner-up in the Drivers' Championship in 2017 and 2018 for Ferrari. He's one of the greatest drivers the sport has ever had, and I'm going to miss Sebastian Vettel a lot. I've always enjoyed watching him race. I've always enjoyed watching him talk. I think the sport is really, really going to miss him. And to be honest with you, I hope there's somebody who can carry the torch for the things he believes in, because I do think it's important, especially when it comes to human rights. Drivers, some this is no fault because I think you have to be built a certain way. So I don't want to, you know, criticize drivers who don't have this internally. But I do think the sport, when they race at places, especially Saudi Arabia, especially Qatar and places like Bahrain, where human rights are a real concern, I think Formula One needs drivers that stand up and speak to the world on these issues. And a lot of drivers won't. Sebastian Vettel did. Lewis Hamilton did. And I think there's going to be a lost voice in this sport that I hope somebody can carry the torch and bring back. But he's a great champion. He's a world-class driver. Uh, The sport is just going to miss him. I know I'm going to miss watching Sebastian Vettel on my Sundays during the Formula One season. So best of luck to Seth. All right, we'll have a review of the Hungarian Grand Prix coming up next week. Once again, if you like this podcast, please subscribe so you won't miss an episode. If you need to reach me and I'd love your feedback at Tony D radio on Twitter. You can also hit us up on Facebook, the overtake F1 podcast, like the page, participate in the conversation. I really do appreciate the support. Again, look for our review of the Hungarian Grand Prix coming up next week. I'm Tony Desiri. Thanks for listening. This is the overtake F1 podcast.